0: 801 on a Tuesday. Alfred Bruff, SportsNet 650 Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. Hour three of the program underway. Drance is going to join us in just a second here. Uh, hour three of the program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at Campbell-Pound.com today. To the phone lines we go. Uh, you hear him on Canucks Talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you read him in the Athletic. He is Thomas Drantz. He joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show. What up, Drantz?er Good morning, gentlemen. Jason wanted me to ask you a question. Do I have this right, uh, Drantz? Did you have fun at the rink last night? Is that that, that
1: I have appropriately fun? worded? Yeah. Did
0: you have fun watching that game last night?
2: Uh, I'm always having fun, boys. Uh,
1: yeah. No. You know, I was. I mean, by the third period, I'm laughing. Right? I mean, like, I'm just laughing as things happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen a game like that in a long, long time. You don't see a game like that in a long time, right? I mean, I do think they're going to be, you know, one thing I note, one thing I thought I think important to note is, like, just like how the Canucks blew, what was it, third period leads in five straight games, and it's like, that's never happened before. Um, you know, it's going to start happening. Like, it's going to start happening with the way this league is trending with the way that hockey is being played. And I don't think the Canucks had ever eliminated a 4-0 deficit to come back and win a game. And that's also going to start happening. Like, all of this is telling you more about the hockey that's Mm -hmm. being played than it is about this Canucks team in some ways, uh, at least to me. Um, You know, we're in this high-scoring era. You can see how optional defenses on occasion in this league you can see how hard it is to defend players with the way the game is called with the way that players attack with how many how much how much like knowledge is now there in terms of how goals are scored how players attack um you know and and what the game asks of defensemen once you play it at this speed so you know i I sort of See it as a great thing like the product when you look around the league when you when you watch games on any given night is in such a good place even if sort of the distractions and the noise and um all of that around the game right now is is the worst that i worst that it's ever been or as bad as i can ever remember it the actual hockey itself is being played at such a high level and it's so fun you know you turn on a game and it's three nothing and it's not over Right, you you know that there's a chance that things might get interesting. Uh, so I really enjoyed the game last night from just a pure raw spectator um, perspective. It was um, it was an event. Let's let's put it that
2: way. Dranser, you mentioned how much we ask of defensemen, and that's something we've talked about a little bit on the show. And do you think it's related to the fact that nobody can seem to find enough? defensemen. Like there are way more teams looking for defensemen than are than have too many good defensemen. We asked them to be agile and fast and shifty and we asked them to go back, uh, get the puck under tremendous pressure and speed and you can't hook and hold uh, any of the four checkers. Then we asked them to make a good breakout pass. Then we ask them to jump up in the play and be part of the the attack. And but also we'd really love it if they were big and tough and could stop the cycle when it gets going in the defensive zone. <laughs> and also, man, like you gotta clear the front of the net. Like just shove some of these guys out of the net. You can't just let them hang up there. Be nasty, but also be like really agile. Like and and and, and we wonder we sit there and we're like why can't teams find defense? Because I mean, like, they don't
0: exist. Also, please don't get hurt.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and don't, rem- don't forget
1: in this market, right? It's uh, the, the best player in the world gets by you, right? And Or gets positioned on you for one second and puts a goal in. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, oh, that guy. Oh! <laughs> Keep like, an eye on that, that guy. guy. Come on. Yeah, like, oh, you can't that-, that guy's garbage. Garvey will never win with that guy. I'm, I'm guilty of this, too. Um, and that happens doubly in this market. Right? <laughs> that happens especially in this market. So, no, I mean, it, yeah. Do we ask too much of defensemen? Does the game ask too much of defensemen? Yeah, probably. Uh, there aren't a lot of guys who can pull it off, right? There, there's not a lot of, like, you know, I, I, I've i sort of made the tight end comparison that NHL NHL defensemen have become, like, good fantasy tight ends, right? There's, like, two that matter, and everyone else is just kind of around. Interesting. Um, you know, you, you're, you're interchangeable. Yeah. The, there's a massive dearth of really good defenders in the NHL, really high end defensemen. And, and one thing I think that matters too, is if you play a certain way, if your centermen are committed enough defensively, I think you can plug and play a little bit, a little bit, so long as the guys are mobile,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you know, it's, it's, really hard. I I mean, one thing to think about is like the Florida Panthers have got like top four contributions at times from Josh Mahura. Does anyone believe that if the Vancouver Canucks had claimed Josh Mahura before the season, that we'd be talking about that as a success story? Yeah. If you have a good
2: attitude, yeah, sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but, or, or would we be talking about it? Like we talk about Riley Stillman, like, is it about, is it about the players acquired or is it to some extent That Florida has, you know, Lusteranen and Bennett and Barkov and the way that those guys track back and the discipline with which they play defense on a team level uh, can insulate, you know, those sort of puck moving guys, the the guys, the reclamation projects they keep having success with, uh, the Forsling and Mahura class, right? I mean, you know, I I, 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 look, based on what you've heard Jim Rutherford say about the way this team plays, what, what do you think he'd answer?
0: Yeah, we lack that inherent structure, right? We don't. Right. We don't have any of it. That's why. When right. we, that's why when we get Riley Stillman, he looks like what Riley Stillman's look like.
1: Yeah, although he had a good game yesterday. Yeah, he got right? pair. Yeah, pair of points. Yeah, but also played well. I yeah. mean, you know. Anyway, the um, yeah. So I, I mean, I do think that there's an element to which if you play a certain way, if you play if you have enough commitment to defense down the middle, I I think you can get away with, you know, Connor Clifton's our top pair defenseman, right? Um, The way that the, the way that the Boston Bruins do, or, or, you know, you look at, you look at all the various defensemen in LA, whose primary attribute is puck moving. I think if you have, if you have mobile defensemen and really good defensive centermen, I think you can insulate, defensemen with with a team systems game Uh, i think if you don't have players with enough speed on the back end um and if you don't have centermen that are good enough defensively i think things i think the seams will show everywhere and and i think the seams show everywhere for this canucks team And, and look i mean they did last night right like credit to them right resilient fight back it's it's unbelievable to imagine that this team won a game last night in which they both trailed for nothing and blew a third period lead, but they did it. And, you know, yet you can see sort of the full Canucks experience on, on display there, right? The everything bagel of this team, the fact that this team is not bad, but also not really good, right? That they're fragile, but also kind of impressively resilient at times, right? That they are, you know, both electric and flawed, extremely flawed. And that's sort of the point, right? Like this is a volatile team. This is fundamentally a volatile team. They don't have that sort of structural spine. If you want to say that it's how the team plays, or if you want to say that it's a lack of ability, they don't have that ability to control things five on five well enough to prevent things from snowballing against them. But they also have the talent to, you know, play scintillating hockey for stretches. Uh, maddeningly inconsistent is sort of their defining trait rather than the quality of this team. And we really just got that full experience. like that. that you, know what, you know what that game was? On the one-year anniversary of hiring Bruce Boudreau, it was the 2021-22 season distilled into 60 Minutes.
0: You know, it, so calling him a volatile team is really interesting, and it's an intriguing analysis because we've talked a lot this show about the – like, I feel like it's a fundamentally alteration – a fundamental alteration of the way that the game's played in the NHL this year. Like, I know – because when we were lamenting all these multi-goal leads at the Canucks blew – some people were astutely pointing out, like, hey, wait a minute, this is a trend that's going on around the NHL. Like, all due respect to the Vancouver bubble and vacuum that you're in, but there are other teams, maybe not with the regularity, but other teams blowing multi-goal leads, and you're seeing it on more of a night-to-night basis. And last night was the most egregious example. Uh, for the record, the Canucks have erased a four-goal deficit before and come back and won. And it was in oh, 19- 1973. 1973. God. That that's how far – well, you have to go back <laughs> yeah. almost five decades. That's how far back you have to go. And I guess that's the byproduct of a volatile team playing a more and more volatile style of game across the league. That would be my analysis right now. Yeah, that's part of it. But there's a level of volatility that is distinct for this team.
1: Okay. Right? Um, in my view, anyway. Not distinct in that like there's no other team like it in the league but that this is what it looks like in the nhl when you don't control play i mean think about the flyers who just won everything for the first nine games of the year and then lost everything for the second nine games of the year right very
0: volatile yes
1: very volatile um well what do the panther what do the flyers and the canucks have in common aside from you know, uh, ownership groups that absolutely love to take every possible shortcut in pursuit of the ninth spot in their respective <laughs> conference. It's the, it's the fact that neither team controls play, right? Like, neither team at five on five regularly outshoots or out, out attempts or out possesses their opponents. The Canucks have more talent, though, so their highs are going to be higher um, and their lows might be a little bit lower, but, but probably not that much. Because at the end of the day, if you can't fall back on that ability to control games, right, then you're completely reliant on the flighty whims of hockey gods, right, of, of the bounces. And so this team can look great when their finishing luck is is rolling, or when their opportunistic finishing game is playing. Uh, they can look great when Thatcher Demko strings together months of dominance, right, but at the end of the day, they're going to have stretches where they look great stretches, where they look bad. And, and it's all going to come together at the end of the year. And they're going to have somewhere between 85 and 93 points and probably miss the playoffs, you know? And, and and the question to ask yourself is how do you get better than that? Like, how do you insulate yourself from luck? How do you, how do you actually strategically build a winning hockey team? Like that, that has to be the question. And a winning hockey team is not a team that wins every game we know that that's not how the sport works it's a team that's good enough that when things snowball against them for a stretch of 10 games you come out of it with like four wins four wins and an overtime loss and and instead of coming out of it with two wins and your season's like over right you you come out of it with breathing room or or vice versa when things go for you right you come out of it with like a a plus 35 goal differential (laughs) across 10 games. Like you're, you look like an absolute buzzsaw, right? Instead of a team that, yeah, yeah, we've won eight of 10, but all of them after regulation, (laughs) like it's just, it's, it's such an obvious distinction. If you're paying attention to the rest of this league and it, it feels like it's a distinction that this organization consistently misses, particularly when the good times arrive. Right? like This team's actually pretty good at ignoring the, the evidence that you know, they've failed for a decade. Mm-hmm. But when they have the slimmest glimmer of hope, the slimmest glimmer of like, hey, things are going our way. right? Like, hey, they've won three of five against the Sharks, the Coyotes, and the Montreal Canadiens, all of them in overtime. Right? Like, is that a glimmer of hope you can build off? Or is that a you know, massive flashing red light that this team's far from good enough? You know, like, I I mean, I know what I think you, I know what I hope the organization thinks, but the fact that I'm not sure gives me pause and sort of is going to keep me in this negative tone, not because I'm being, not, not because that's my, you know, not even because that's my habit, like not even because that's my first default, but because that's, you know, (laughs) that's, that's what the evidence says very
2: clearly. Drancer, I want to talk a bit about the Brock Besser's situation and the overall situation with the Canucks having a bunch of wingers and you wonder what their value is on the trade market right now. And it's actually... Do you wonder? Uh, well, hold on a sec. This is, this is actually a text that came <laughs> in that was a bit critical of me and because I enjoy reading these types of texts and I actually think this person makes a worthwhile point I'm going to read it. Greg in Lad Wasson texts in. Normally, I agree with most of Bruff's Canucks opinions, but one thing he is pushing, in my opinion, needs to stop immediately. And that is the notion of giving away players for free, like a Besser for Pearson deal. So, uh, Besser and Pearson deal. So, Drantz, one of the things I've thrown out there is for the listeners is, hey, like, If a team wanted two wingers and the Canucks said, yeah, we'll give you Besser, but you got to take Pearson, would you do that deal? Greg and Lad Wasson thinks that is super irresponsible asset management. Um, You do not trade players away when they're at their lowest historical value, then watch them flourish for another team. We need to focus on trading the players away now that have positive value, then elevate the so called negative or neutral value assets in the lineup till they get grooving and then trade them once their value increases yeah. this He's this right. this text goes on um, a, a little bit more, but my whole argument was like first of all, this team needs major changes um, so I want to see changes, and also there is an opportunity cost to holding on to players because they may not elevate their value in fact their value might get even lower and also the opportunity cost is the cap space that you could have and the Canucks desperately need the cap space so I guess my question for you is first of all your reaction to Greg's uh, text and I replied to him already I said I think you make a good point I'll ask Drance about this Um, and just how the Canucks should go about any disassembling of the roster if they were to do that
1: Yeah, this comes back to something we sort of talked about, I think, two weeks ago, right? Which was me sort of saying in reaction to the Myers report uh, of the Myers-Zaitsev stuff, also from Elliot Friedman, right? Uh, And saying that for me, Myers is a hold. Myers is a guy whose value increases by you simply not trading him until the summer, right? Like, there's value created there, so he's a hold. Uh, I think the same applies to all of the guys who become expirings next season. So Pearson and Besser for sure, Um, you know, or no, sorry, Pearson for sure. Besser is two years out, but the thing is, is that if you're going to enhance Besser's value, um, you need a spot to put him on the power play right he needs to live on pp1 and ideally yeah. at the half wall
2: i mean i heard i heard when over the offseason that besser um, was concerned not because he didn't like him as a teammate but there was a there was a thought out there that jt miller was taking his spot on the power play and he was like if jt miller resigns long term where does that leave me
1: well th- this is part of it right like besser was always the besser contract only ever made sense as a value recitation project, right? Like this team was so boxed in. This is one thing I I was sort of making the point on uh, about it on Canucks hour yesterday. Um, You know, when, when the previous regime took over, right. The Linden Benning regime in 2014, like they were able to make this dizzying assortment of trades and everyone was really excited about it. Right. But it's like, you know, it's easy to trade good players on good contracts, (laughs) you know, like comparatively speaking, Mm -hmm. that is not the trick. It's much harder to navigate some of the circumstances that Rutherford and Alvin inherited. Uh, You know, the Besser situation being probably the most notable, right? He's got the $7.5 million qualifying offer. Winger's values are decreasing significantly. You know, you either walk, you take him to arbitration um, or you qualify him and and risk him accepting it. I mean, there's a world where like, is it a better outcome if you've already lost Besser for nothing? Some people would say yes. Is it a better outcome if you've got Besser for only one year, but the cap hits 7.5 million and as a result, you can't do the Ethan Bear trade, Um, you know, or or is this the better sort of the, the lesser of all evils? For me, this is the lesser of all evils, depending on what happens from here. I think where the Besser Resuscitation Value Resuscitation Project really loses steam is when you resign JT Miller, right? Just because that prevents you from putting the puck in his hands on the power play and juicing his value and moving from there. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that I think that Greg from Lad Watson is dead on. If you're going to detonate this group um, with an eye toward mining as much value as you possibly can from the pain. You know, the steps to doing so are like, do it fast, right? So that you make sure that you're bad, right? Right? Like the, be proactive in getting into the, the mix for the, you know, Bedard, Leo Carlson, uh, Adam Fantilli Derby this season. Uh, sort of step two is, you know, you, you have to stop thinking about this for at least a couple of years as like a hockey team building project. And more as a as a like trading exercise, like a, a how do you net as much value into your organization right. as yeah. you possibly can yeah. in as quick a period of time as you can? Like it's an accumulation project. Um, you know, this is sort of this is like this is, would sort of be the those would be hallmarks of the transplant. And and you know, Besser and Garland, for example, would not be the first guys who move. In this instance, they'd be the guys who like play every shift with Elias Pettersson until they're, you know, 65 point guys that have a different sort of value. Like if you don't think that those guys are on the next great Canucks team, well, then, you know, they play with your best player and they get a ton of power play time and you do everything you can to get a positive value asset out of it. Um, You know, you start at the you start actually with the, the toughest deals to move right you, you you think about being proactive about making a J.T. Miller trade before his NMC kicks in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Oliver Ekman Larson is the sell out and figure it out to to move him guy, and you consider a buyout if if not. Um, not not just because yeah you, you have to clear the money, but because how are you ever going to get him to agree to a trade? If that threat doesn't linger. Right. Like if that threat's not in your in your arsenal. And then and then, you know, I'd also resign some guys and and take some like big swings on guys where the, the bet might not hit. Right. The, the a Hoaglander at six years times three million. Right. Uh, an Ethan Bear on the Pullman contract. Um, stuff like that. Try to create value off the pieces that you have. Uh the problem is is that hockey managers don't typically think like this, right? Like there are teams that think like this now and if you sort the NHL standings by point percentage, you'll find the Devils and the Carolina Hurricanes and some of the teams that do think like this at the top, but you know, do does a conventional hockey manager think like this? No, I don't I don't really think they do.
2: No, they think about um, next season or this current season.
1: Well, and they think about finding good hockey players, right? And and one thing that I think it's fair to say about this management group is you look, you look up and down. It's like Ilya McKay is fitting. Great. Andre Kuzmenko has been a revelation, right? Niels Amon looks like a player out of nowhere. Dakota Joshua's a really effective four checker, a a really strong F1. He's been a nice ad for this team. Um, You know, Ethan bears this team's second best defenseman. He was acquired for a fifth, like in terms of finding, you know, good players at good, Cap hits, like I think they've done an okay job, but the big picture, like what this team really needs, um, you know, I, I, have they have they nailed that? Like I'd say no. I'd say that big picture strategy is is where there's a lot of grounds for criticism. The the finding good hockey players stuff, like I think they've already done a better job than their predecessors in that narrow arena. But sure. it's a narrow arena, like it should yeah. be it should be the top priority of a, a hockey manager, find good players. Uh, it's just not anymore. It's just not anymore. And it's not for a team in as uniquely dire a circumstance as this one, right? Like a, a team that has so little cap space, so little, so few prospects, you know, uh, such a flawed roster, so much money invested in the, so many players with so little value, like so few trade assets, right? I mean, this is a really unique situation, and I, I'm just not sure if conventional answers are sufficient to get this turned around.
2: Yeah, I'll be really curious to, to to hear what management has to say and to witness what their actions are in the next couple months leading up to the trade deadline because I think it's going to say a lot. Drancer, thanks for joining us today. Hey, my pleasure. Cheers, uh, boys. Thanks, buddy.
0: Thomas Trance from The Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk. You can hear him right here on Sportsnet 650 in just a couple hours. Um, we are up against it for time. I do need to tell everybody that uh, we do have not a giveaway, although I guess a giveaway of sorts. We're giving away the opportunity to win a grand prize at the end of the week. It is,
3: We're giving away hope.
0: Yeah, we are. Time. Thank you. Yeah. Hope is not a dangerous thing, Andy. No. Hey, I sound like Shawshank. Okay. It's the most important thing. Okay.
2: It's the only thing.
0: Um, let's focus again. Zewataneo. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, you get a chance to experience the rush. That's what the company called Scenic Rush. Uh, sea to sky exotic driving experience for two people valued at close to $1,000. You get to drive four exotic cars, Ferrari, Lamborghini, a Porsche, and a Corvette. Uh, it's all in the seat of Sky Highway. It's three hours, squamishing back. If you want to be entered into the grand prize draw, which is going to happen on Friday, you need to send a good what we learned. It has to tickle a dog's fancy. You have to hashtag it WWL. You have to put in a car emoji. doesn't matter what kind of car, just the car emoji. Text it to 650-650. That is the Dunbar t- Lumber text line. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Again, hashtag it WWL and put a car emoji in the text and of course tell us what you learned that's what we're going to do on the other side humanoid what we learns are coming up next on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650 and all of a sudden everyone's like oh
1: oh that guy (laughs) oh (laughs) ah, my groin
0: time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the city news 1130 air patrol
2: of the show well that's a talk to the audience oh god this is always dead
0: 8:34 on a tuesday another staple a tradition of the show is this little tune right here take it away quincy God, I love this song. It's impossible not to chair dance. Oh, my song! <laughs> As the kids say, this song slaps. Huh? <laughs> eh?
3: Do they no say that. that? It
0: really does slap. It slaps a lot. Mad
3: slap. I think slaps has made its way to the boomers now. It's not. It's not a kids' term anymore.
0: That's why I'm using it on the radio. In an ironic yet not ironic sense. It. Yeah. Uh, Helping a breath in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Hey, hey. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are also brought to you by Campbell & Pound, real estate appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Uh, from the World Cup, 78th minute scoreless between Morocco and Spain. This one feels destined for extra time and perhaps penalties. I hope nobody took notes from the Japanese yesterday. Can that I was just say not that? A go-
2: oh, sorry. Go ahead. That
0: was not a good penalty performance from the Japanese yesterday.
2: That was not confident, was
0: it? <laughs> nope. Right from the moment that they walked up to the spot. Mm. It did not look confident.
2: Uh, what I wanted to say was that I think Morocco has the coolest flag in the world.
0: You've mentioned this before. It's yeah. just a big green star on a uh, on,
2: on red on a
0: red background. Yes, it's very it's very catching, very fetching.
2: And I and I like the description. The green star represents the five pillars of Islam. Okay, and the red represents the blood of the ancestors and unity.
0: That took a turn. It's metal. Super- yeah, Superman. right? Morocco's medal is That's hell, cool, right? Yeah. What does the yeah. red on the Canada flag stand for? Blood, also blood. <laughs> yeah. the, bl-
2: the blood of British Columbians and uh, Newfoundlanders, yeah, British it, Columbians. It's,
0: it's, all, it's all blood. Yeah. All right. Um, so, again, to recap, we're now in the coming in on the 80th minute here. So, we'll see what happens. Yesterday, between uh, Japan and Croatia, um, that was the first and only game thus far of the knockout stage to go to extra time. And then, of course, the penalties. Uh, Croatia on penalties, eh? They sure have a way. They mm-hmm. sure have a way at these tournaments. Um, how much of that one did you watch yesterday?
2: Uh, oh, I watched the end of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Th- you know, I have right. had a couple of people push back on the notion that this hasn't been a unique tournament because and in the end, it's that mm-hmm. old joke, right? It's like all the traditional powers are there in the end. And so far, this tournament's held up its end of the bargain. Uh, if Morocco doesn't beat Spain here, you're going to see a very traditional-looking quarterfinal where it's all of the sort of big South American and um, and European countries maybe
2: if the Swiss can get by Portugal you'd look at Switzerland and go "Mm, they're not a power
0: yeah you could I mean most tournaments you look at and you're like of the final eight it's usually like a six two or five three split between the European countries, and the South American countries. Right. Very rarely do you get someone from Africa, Asia, Oceania, CONCACAF go all the way through, right? Do you like it
2: when the underdogs make a run? Because to be perfectly honest with you, I'm quite happy with England and France playing each other, the notion of Argentina
0: and Brazil playing a game, the notion of Portugal and Spain playing a game. Those are the games that I want to see. I mean, this is where I always hearken back to the March Madness comparison mm-hmm. because the upsets are great, for the first two rounds, yeah. like seeing a 16 and a 15 get to the sweet 16 is great, but that's yeah. their tournament. That's... Much like these guys getting to the round of 16. Yeah. When St. Peter's goes up against Kansas in the elite eight and they get smoked. It's because the magic ran out mm-hmm. and they're not as good as the powerhouse teams go back to Lehigh Valley, Lehigh right? yeah, Valley. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like these schools are meant to exist for a couple weeks and then they're done. That's their tournament. So you kind of seen the same thing here, but that being said, there was no Japan was neck and neck with Croatia yesterday there wasn't much to choose from but between the two teams it just came down to a flip coin flip in the shootout uh, and you're seeing it right now with Morocco and Spain so there are exceptions to the rule but anyway I'm rambling as I do here what are you guys laughing at what are the dogs there was laughing a, at?
3: the play at the side of the net the sharp angle play I thought the goalie was going to drop into reverse VH there for a <laughs> second. <laughs> Oh, Didn't happen.
2: I actually don't even know what reverse VH is. No, I, I, don't. I don't care. No I just
3: no. If you have a kid
0: that's I a goalie. You'll find out it. soon enough,
2: Jason. Yeah, and that's why I hope I don't have a kid.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't understand the question and I choose not to answer okay, it.
2: Okay, let's go into the Dunbar Lumber text line, print out some of these uh, submissions. Kyle and East Van, what we learned. I learned, although I absolutely loved watching the big hits from Don Cherry's Rock 'em Sock 'em videos, uh, the era of everyone wanting a Tom Wilson on their team is over. Health and safety and future health, like Travis Dermott talked about, uh, being 60 and healthy enough to play with his grandkids is a bigger factor now. I can sacrifice huge hits for family. I hated when Rafi Torres and Alex Burrows made dirty plays for my team. Hey, listen, I go back and forth on this because my brain says – we don't need this sort of stuff. It's just a game. Like we don't need people having real life effects yep. from just to entertain me. Uh, but I also just miss it. <laughs> yeah. I miss the rush of those um, games that, that that kicked off. And and I do think there is an element of sometimes you need a guy that's willing to go up to the line and maybe even cross it once in a while because that's
0: how you get the fear. I just don't think it's that black and white of a conversation. Like if you like chaos and a little bit of violence you're also like advocating for brain injuries you know he doesn't make
2: well there's, there's not the man, you can't, can you have it both ways
0: yes how the hit that that luke shen threw last night there was nothing wrong with it well dolly's hit the other day nothing wrong with it. Was it was a clean beautiful hit. Hit. the truba mm-hmm. hit on but a clean
2: uh, can hit a clean hit can still cause a concussion right but With the whiplash effect, et cetera, et cetera.
0: but it's But then you're going down a road of saying, I, like,
3: hey, I'm playing devil's advocate I think here, there's okay? an inherent risk when you step on the ice that there could be an injury, whether you like it or not. It's the head hunting and specifically going after to guys the and their heads yeah. that is the like I, I yes.
0: Anyone that says, like, you're going to eradicate head injuries from the sport, I'll be like, slap them across the, the cheeks twice a' insane yeah, it's you can't impossible. eradicate he- you can't. Uh, concussions from yeah. soccer right but like with, you- the, with the clashes
2: of their heads mm-hmm. and and you know but
0: there is a fundamental difference between picking the head and hitting someone with a body check like, I, I don't I think it's pretty cut and dry now mm-hmm. where the drama more recently has come in is that the lines have gotten blurred between what constitutes a clean hit and what doesn't right one person's clean hit through the body is another person's look his skates are off the ice by an inch he's launching himself into somebody
2: i think where people sometimes differ in their opinions is some people enjoy the risk of the potential injuries you know the people that do things like i'm a i'm a race car driver sure. or i have a motorcycle or i do things that are adrenaline Base junkie, junkie rush stuff right like part of it is
3: I run, I run really fast to the turnstile doors <laughs> to see if I can get through without Yeah out. you do
2: different things right I you live do different things, different, different levels of risk <laughs> but there but there's an element of hey like look at this stuff like I they're thinking like I'm living here like this is this is living right and and I think most of the hockey players get to the, that get to the NHL they have that element of hey guys we're going out there and we're playing a game that is dangerous, and that's why people admire us, that we are able to go out into those situations mm-hmm. and embrace those dangerous situations. Now, is the culture changing a little bit? Is it less so than it used to be? Probably. But uh, I, I do wonder how the the fan base is changing in their opinions about the game because I think it has changed quite a bit compared to yeah. what I grew up on.
0: Uh, I want to read this one from Lauren. Because he's taking issue with what he's viewed as being a negative reaction following a win. And it's valid to bring this up. Said, Lauren writes, and he, he did a sunglasses emoji. So just throw him in the pile with the rest of the contest entries. In the last 24 hours, I have learned the only consistency with Vancouver Canucks is the overwhelmingly negative coverage on Sportsnet Radio. Thankfully, none of the players under the bus can hear the radio, although they certainly don't like the tire tracks all over their jerseys. <laughs> there was more positive than negative out of last night's game, mainly that the team did not roll over at 4-0. I will say, in, in hindsight, the opening segment, the way that we talked about the game for the better part of the first hour, um, there were some negative overtones to it. Was it predominantly negative it might have been I had a hard time trying to really crystallize and figure out exactly what we witnessed last night aside from the blindingly obvious and that's why I kind of opened the show like I did like the Canucks scored 13 seconds in overtime for a comeback victory over Montreal
2: well you can speak for yourself there because I came in today and I said we we got to accentuate how fun that night was And, you know, I've I've been talking to you guys off the air and say, hey, guys, let's not go too negative here because we've had plenty of time to be negative. And I think we should lean into the fact that last night was a fun game. It was wild. It was entertaining. The people in the arena had a fun night. Mm -hmm. I had a blast watching that game. And in part, I had a blast because I was so negative to start. (laughs) Like, there's some people, like, I, I get that there's media members out there that hate being wrong. And yeah. I, I there's a certain sense that I, I hate being wrong and I'll joke about that. But one thing I've learned, um, and I think people do appreciate this, is when you can embrace having a wrong take. Or you can embrace how you'll put something out on Twitter and it's really aggressive and then it looks ridiculous two hours later. Sure. Like I was going down the wormhole on Twitter last night of... Like let's let's go back and laugh at all the dumb things that management has said over the years. That's when the Canucks were down four-nothing, and then they scored one, and then they scored another, and then they sure. scored another, and they scored another, then they scored another, and all of a sudden they're winning the game. And I joke like I always believed in this team. I always knew this team had heart, which obviously is is a joke and I'm being sarcastic, but I think that's why we watch sports. And I think if media members would take themselves less seriously and sometimes appreciate that sometimes when they say things uh, and then it goes against them, that people are going to call them out on it and not be overly sensitive about it. Last night was a fun night. And if you are one of those fans that all you want to do is cheer for your team and you don't really care about the salary cap, you're not too invested in how much this guy makes or how many more years left on this contract, and you don't understand why there are people going, you got to trade Horvat because you're like, wait, he's good. He's the captain. I like Horvat. I want them to keep Horvat. Last night was a night for you. Last yep. night was not a night for everyone who has their salary cap takes. So, I appreciate that I had it was great coming in this morning. Listen, do you think I want to come in and, and blast the
0: team again like we did after the Washington <laughs> game? After the Florida game, it's
2: boring, man.
0: Yeah, I will also say uh, another lesson learned from last night is the sheer volume of people that turned it off when it was for nothing. I I, I cannot believe the amount of text. I don't know if it's a bunch of people playing in to the narrative and having fun with it or if these are genuine, but a lot of people have texted in saying that they found out that the Canucks won that game 7-6 in overtime because they listened to our show this morning, (laughs) and that was the first win that they got of it. And fair enough. 4-0 comebacks for a victory in Canucks history don't happen very often. There's only been two of them. And one of them, the last one happened in 1973. So for those that just packed it in at 4 uh, nothing, the Canucks won 7-6 in overtime yesterday. Elias Pettersson scored 13 seconds into overtime in case you wanted to get caught up with that. Uh, Bill from Buffalo. <laughs> Is there any mention of Tom Brady's comeback last night? No, we have not mentioned Monday Night Football once, have we? I don't think we have. Uh, I didn't watch any of it. I, I watched the the end because the Bucks did have a comeback, classic Tom Brady comeback. And I guess despite the fact that they're not a very good football team and are now just 500, you have to pay attention to them because they're probably going to make the playoffs by way of winning that division. And that means Tom Brady is going to be in the playoffs and then the pomp and circumstance that comes along with that. But they stink. They're a bad football team. That game last night was not entertaining in the slightest. But they're
2: fortunate they're in the NFC.
0: The NFC South, that division. They're probably
2: going to win. What is the standings in that division?
0: They are 6-6 and they are leading the division by how much uh they are they were f- they're a half game up uh it's I think the Saints were a game and a half back going into last night so okay. they could have cut the deficit right. they did not but that that game all due respect like it was another week uh primetime game in the NFL mm-hmm. they, the finish was okay. Right, Brady came back and got the victory when they needed it, but it's a bad Saints team on Monday Night Football against not a better Bucks team, to be honest. Uh,
2: Chet and Burnaby, what we learned. I learned last night was a fun game. I just wish it could have been a big game. Yeah, that's a fair thing to say. But I think you should be able to have both those thoughts in your head. Like, hey, this is a fun game. This is entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, this is crazy. And, like, if you spend time on social – last night was, like, a fun time on social media. It wasn't, like, a, a normal, like – you know, you just you just want to p- throw your phone into the you know out out the house. My uh, my only
3: issue with games like last night is I worry. I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I worry that management will look at games <laughs> like last night and be like, "Hey, this is a good hockey team." Well, then because you, it isn't a good hockey but, team, but here's they the still thing. have lots of as problems. As well, that's, that's, my, is, yeah. that's my that's yes. my worry. Like I you could, I think you could have it both ways. It was a super fun, very entertaining game last night for the fans. 100. percent I had a great time watching it. At the same time, I was like, "Oh, this team's still yeah. not very good." But it then needs you just did- get
2: fixed. But then, if they if they do that, you blast them. I don't right? know, guys, and, and you, and you they criticize are... them. Like, I don't think that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Galvin are listening to this show and going, "Hey, Andy's worried, <laughs> right?" Like, but what like, if they are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but wait, yeah. Like, just hold on. I in in some ways, like I think we can conclude. If there's one thing we can conclude, is that <laughs> this organization does not listen to the media very much. Right. And they does it does not chart its path based on what the media and the fans are saying on Twitter, because actually we might have to introduce some reverse psychology because it seems like this organization does the opposite of what people are. On, I don't know, man. On Twitter and sports radio thing. You know,
0: you negative Nelly see a team with problems. I see a team that's won seven of its last ten and is maybe on a rocket ship to the moon. See, they scored seven. reverse sense, psychology. They scored yes. seven goals last night. Yes, like, Michael yes. Helford, yeah. <laughs> you are correct.
2: We should just do the rest yes. of the
0: year
3: and with like, gritted teeth. This like, team is fantastic. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> they are going to the cup.
0: Colin Delia <laughs> looks like the real Delia to me, so I'm okay <laughs> with all of this. I mean, you tell me how many teams can rack up overtime victories against the likes of San Jose and Arizona and Montreal. It's not not easy. So I'm all in. Seven and three in their last ten. Mark it down.
2: (laughs) Uh, Adam, the former bath guy, what we learned, I learned that you guys are overlooking the offensive juggernaut that is Riley Stillman. Yeah, a couple assists Mm -hmm. for Riley Stillman last night. Um, What we learned, never – Turn your Canucks game off early, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, and it works both ways now, right? The Canucks have a lead. You might want to keep watching. The Canucks are down 4 nothing. Yeah, keep watching, especially if it's against a young team like Montreal that is still trying to figure out how to win in the NHL that doesn't have super high expectations. Like against, if it was 4 nothing for Tampa after the first period, I might be like, you know what? I'm going to watch the crown now. <laughs>
0: Good show, it is a good um, show. Mark in East Van hashtag WWL. What we learned: Goal Caulfield is a top five nickname in the NHL. Maybe top three. I do like Goal Caulfield as a nickname. Is he Andy Goal? Andy the Goal? Well, he's Andy <laughs> the Goal King Cole. That's that's the old that's the other Andy Coles nickname. By the way.
3: The more successful Andy Cole, the
0: slightly more successful professional footballer. <laughs> uh, yeah, his his nickname is Andy the Goal King Cole. That's
3: you can uh, have one of my favorite things is getting tagged on these Andy Cole conversations on Twitter where they think oh, this guy. Oh, nice. Oh, And, yeah, really, and nice. obviously, I play along. You so. should do a radio interview as the other Andy Cole. <laughs> remember when you know?
0: were, remember you were in that dynamic strike pairing with Dwight York, and you're like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, I, I do. I do. Yeah. Yes, as long mm-hmm. as you have
3: absolutely zero follow up questions. Yeah.
2: Uh, Derek of Spuzzum, what we learned: Halford and Bruff have been mainstays. As I recover from major hip surgery right now, shameless self plug that some Sea to Sky supercars would be a nice thing to look forward to with this six-month recovery. Is he a goalie? Derek got the Derek got the nod from the yeah. Halford and Bruff show. If you have major hip surgery and you're forcing yourself to listen to us. You deserve some sort of so reward. Much so, much of so, much <laughs> so much pain. So
0: much pain. So much pain.
2: So much pain. Jay in OK Falls, what we learned, Kirsty Alley of Cheers fame passed away at 71. Rest in peace. Thinking of 80s sitcoms, I think that the Howlbro experience would be enhanced by adding an 80s-style laugh track. Yeah, when... <laughs> Good one, Jason. I was going <laughs> to... I was going to say something about Kirstie Alley of Cheers fame passing away at seventy-one. <laughs> no laugh track. there, I mean, please. <laughs> the the laugh <laughs> track. Yeah, it's really sad. She had a a, a short uh, battle with cancer. I remember when she replaced Shelley Long, Diane, on Cheers. There was quite, there was quite a bit of controversy. Were you, did people, you watch some,
3: that show live? Were you a big Cheers guy when when you were growing huge up? Huge Cheers okay. guy. Even my, as a young, before my time. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. Even as, as I a know, it was Lieutenant
3: Savick from Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan.
2: Oh, right. I never watched any of that stuff. I never watched <laughs> I mean, any of that
0: did not see that coming at yeah. all. Did and the not. Look Who's Talking movies. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. They made Steve Gutenberg a star. Um, oh,
2: Look Who's Talking when the baby was talking? Yeah.
3: And then there's Look Who's was, Talking, was, too, was, and then they what, had the second baby talking. Was the baby John talking? John Travolta was in it. Was,
0: oh, what, 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 I'm thinking of Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, you are.
3: That's yeah. a different
2: movie. Oh, with Gutenberg, uh yeah. Ted Danson, and uh, who else was in Look Who's Talking? Oh, sorry, Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. Um, was was Bruce Tom Willis? Sock. Was Bruce Willis the voice
3: of the baby? I believe so. Yes, and yeah. John Travolta was the husband. Right. Yeah,
0: that well, was a good. I didn't realize that baby baby sitcoms were so, such a big, such a big thing. Look they're, who's they're, talking.
3: They're, one and two were big movies, man. I remember watching the heck yeah. out of them when I was a kid.
2: Uh, KG and Van. What we learned: the Spencer Martin honeymoon might be over.
3: Yeah, listen.
2: People had way too high expectations for Spencer Martin this season.
0: Uh, Laddie, on a scale of one to ten, how bad was Martin last night?
3: Uh, it's hard to say. It's such a short appearance. You, just, have you ever Sometimes you don't have goalie. It. Just pick it. Yeah, up. but sometimes you don't have it. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lay out. Pick a number. He's, How you, bad you, was he, pick, he last night? He, he didn't have it. He pulled in the first period. He was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going <laughs> to. Just give him a, give him say, a number. Like, we want a Zero. Grade. What do you want from me? Oh, like, zero. Wow, that's <laughs> a zero. Wow. He's a zero why are you so hard on goalies all the i I thought you
0: were an ally. I would have given myself a zero if I did that. I don't know what you want from me here. Wow. I I love this. This is the spiciest take you've had all week. This is good. You should probably
3: mention. We should probably mention the Scenic Rush contra- contest entrant. I don't think we've...
0: Yeah, we did. We gave it to Derek, did we not?
3: Did we read that? what we learned? Yeah, yeah we did. I'll yeah, okay. did all that. Well, this is why i mentioned. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> should we mention it again?
0: Uh, congrats to Derek, and congrats uh, to everyone that's going to be entered into the grand prize draw on Friday. It's courtesy of Scenic Rush. It is a supercar trip up the Sea to Sky Highway and back. You get to drive all the way to Squamish. A prize package valued at close to $1,000. We have two entrants in the contest already. We're going to do three more before Friday's grand prize draw. So that's the rest of the week laid out for you.
2: I just, you know, I think we should all um, send a message to Canucks management that this team is great. Look at how they won last night. A 7-6 Coke. So much heart. Absolutely zero
3: problems. Don't
2: make any changes. We want this thing
0: to stay together forever. And we're going to say all this again. Tomorrow. Signing off for now, though, we got to go. I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A Dog. He's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.